Welcome to this episode of Right Stuff with me, Chris Fitzgerald, done through the Headstuff Podcast Network. In this episode, I'm delighted to have Anne Griffin, whose debut novel, When All Is Said, is one of my favourite novels in a long time. It tells the story of Morris Hannigan, someone who is, as Anne says here, actually uh, quite flawed, but lovable and very relatable. This is a really insightful chat with Anne at Listowel Writers Week about how she got published, how she developed Morris as a character, and much more as well. And as well as all that, uh, there's actually a reading from Anne at the end of this. When All Is Said is out in hardback and coming out very soon in paperback, and the audiobook is actually really worth a listen as well for another kind of experience of the book. I started by asking Anne if she always was into writing. Uh, no, I was 44 when I dis- uh, when I started to write, so yeah. it hadn't really occurred to me at all. I mean, I loved good writing and, uh, and, and I loved reading new authors and, you know, just who's new on the scene, what's going on. Loved all of that, but uh, no, no, it was a, I was 44 before I thought. It was John Boyne who said to me, Geez, you know, have you ever thought of writing? And I did, and I started, and that's, you know, and here I am. And did you feel like you needed that amount of time, like life experience and all, to kind of... I wouldn't change it. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't change it, um, but it's, you know, it's not like I was, you know, up to 44 thinking, no, I won't start writing yet, you know. Mm. <laughs> no, I'll leave it for another, another few years until I'm ready, or... Mm. It's just, it's how life fo- unfolded for me, and... Um, but I certainly would not change all of that life experience mm-hmm. and all of those journeys because, you know, that's what feed it, feeds into people's writing, who we are, where we've come from, our experiences, mm-hmm. our observations in life. So, no, I, I, I really welcome the wealth of years mm-hmm. <laughs> and the many, many years <laughs> <laughs> that I've had um, to be able to, to, to write. Mm. to write in the in the way I do you know? and to create someone like Morris yeah Morris Morris Hannigan yeah uh, yeah I um, I love Morris loved writing mm. him loved him too yeah, yeah. <laughs> just Aww, just really you, because Chris. I think we can all relate to him somehow or like yeah. not, maybe not directly relate to him but have someone in our lives or in our yeah. past lives who we can yeah. like his voice just reminded me so much of my grandfather's voice and things yeah. like that. You're probably hearing that a lot, are you? I am. And do you know what's 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 really amazing is I'm hearing it from all over the world. So it's not just okay. an Irish thing. Because some people said, oh, this is your, you know, this is a real Irish novel. And I never set out to write an Irish novel at all. I set out just to write the story of a man who is deeply flawed, not great at communication, cantankerous um, El curmudgeon when he wants to be um, and a man who loved money and all of that and all of those kind of deeply flawed things that um, we experience but at the end of the day is a, a lovable man there are traits in that man that just you know yeah, well have touched people mm-hmm. and so that's what I set out to write it wasn't supposed to be your quintessential Irish man of a certain age mm-hmm. um, but uh, and then to get emails from people in Australia or South Africa and saying like you said he reminds me of my grandfather mm-hmm. um, I just think it's amazing I just I will forever ever be amazed at that kind of thing yeah. um, and just really humbled by it that you know your your book has has touched people like that um, that you know sales you know writers I suppose get their 
Unfortunately, you know, sales is important. And so there are moments when you're, you get caught up in that awfulness of, oh God, how many, has it sold? Is it, has it, but then you think there are other beautiful moments. And these are the moments that you try to hang on to where you say, do you know what? That email that that person in Cincinnati in the States just sent me, where she said, thank you for that book. It will remain with me for a long, long time. That's what it's about, mm -hmm. because it's about touching the reader. It's about making making that impact, that your words have made that impact with the reader. And that's, that's what you have to hang on to. And you've got to kind of say, you know, OK, look, forget about the sales. And I mean, you know, I'm lucky my, my book sold quite well in the beginning and, and, and I'm very, very grateful for that. So maybe I can say that from the comfort of that position. But I hope even if if I don't if 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 say, you know, I'd had a kind of a slow rise in sales or even just a few books sold or whatever, that I would still have that um, perception that it's not necessarily about the sales mm. and it really is more about the impact of your book for the reader. Yeah, you know? I mean, even one person like that has that impact. Absolutely. Um, but have you had the chance to just enjoy it, enjoy the success, and kind of yeah, uh, coming to events like this? I presume give oh, you that opportunity. My goodness, but, um, is just—it's like a mecca. Isn't it? It, it really is. It, is. is. it draws it's, everyone. It, it draws everyone, and there's such a wonderful spirit and the community spirit here, and then all of the writers here. Um, and I'll admit to to getting my first bout of stage fright last night, sitting with. Um, been interviewed to John Boyne, sitting with Sarah Davis Goff and looking out on that audience where these authors that I so admire are sitting mm -hmm. there and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, is this actually happening yeah. to me? Pinch um, yourself kind of thing. No, right? really, yeah, absolutely. It's just, there is something about Listo and um, I, I just... I wish I could stay longer. I'm kind of in and out today, yeah. um, but I, I really wish I could stay longer. But am I? Yeah, there have been moments where really I am enjoying. I, I am enjoying it. There's been, especially in the beginning, you know, when I heard I got a, a book deal and all that kind of stuff. There was a lot of champagne for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's really great because uh, I like my champagne. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> very expensive taste when it comes to, to no, drink. No, no. I think you deserved it because it wasn't such an easy path to publication for you, was it? There no. was a lot of rejection and there was, eventually. Yeah. And there was a bidding war. There was a bidding, bidding war, war. Yeah. yeah. So I had that, that um, J.K. Rowling story. <laughs> yes, mm. look, I'm equating myself Come to J.K. Rowling. Why not? Why not? Yeah, um, yeah um, <laughs> I had uh, the 37 rejections. No, I was on my 37th email, so I had 36 Jesus. rejections. Over. You counted them. I, put, I had an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I was an accountant in a, okay. in, in, a par, in, in one part of my former life yeah. um, and may, may well have to return to that. I doubt it, I doubt it. We'll see. But, uh, so, yeah, I, li I like the old Excel spreadsheets. Um, so, yeah, I did, and it was mainly because I needed to track who have I sent that book okay. to, mm. you know, so that I'm not starting again. Although, who was it was telling me that wonderful, there was a very, very famous writer, sorry, I can't remember, what it was. somebody told me a story last night where they had gotten 30 rejections they'd worked through at that point, the Writers and Artists Yearbook had something like 30 rejections, and then went back to the beginning and started all over oh, again. Yeah. But the first, so went back to the first um, publisher on the list and they accepted it this time he hadn't changed a bloody thing <laughs> and I can't remember who was, was such a famous writer that is about but anyway yeah. so there I was with my 36 rejections and um, 
and then miraculously managed to uh, find somebody on Twitter of, of all places. Um, I came across a, a tweet when I should have been writing at 11 o'clock on a Friday morning. That's um, what happens, yeah. yeah, I know. You just kind of say, oh, I'll just have a quick yeah. look. Two oh, hours later. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but uh, I was, it was the best uh, sneaky look at Twitter that I ever have mm. done because there was a tweet from um, uh, an agent called Louise Buckley um, who works for Zeno Agency uh, who are have traditionally always done sci-fi and fantasy but were expanding their range and I sent sent it to her and kind of sent it to her saying I'm not sure that this is you know what you guys uh, are looking for but here it is anyway and she was like no no we're expanding our range great let me have a look at it and um I got an email from her on the Monday saying, yeah. can we talk? I'd like to sign you. I read it over the weekend. I Amazing. love it. And so, um, you know, at that stage, you just think, oh, my God, I got an agent. I have arrived. And, you know, and, 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 then, and then it dawns on you, oh, no, this isn't, this isn't the end. Just because mm. you got an agent, there's this whole mm. other thing. You, you may never get published. Um, you know, try as hard as they might. Agents can't always sell your book. So... Uh, so I quickly came back down to land. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, look, let's let's just see if it works. And I was very fortunate that at the time, it was uh, September, so we were just coming up to the Frankfurt Book Fair. So that's mm. the point at which, you know, people are looking, yeah. uh, publishers are looking enthusiastically and have the money there and, and are waiting mm. uh, for something to come along. So I, I was very lucky that within a couple of weeks, um, yeah, there was a, a four-way bid um, on the book, um, and um, yeah, some really nervous moments where, you know, being naive, not knowing how these things worked. Like after the first round of bidding, Louise rang me and she said, so um, one publisher have dropped out and I'm going, oh no, are they all going to drop out? And she's like, no, no, that's not how it works. We want them to drop out because we want okay. to get to, we want to get to, to the one that really wants you, yeah. you know, um, and so, uh, yeah, I was kind of petrified for two weeks because it went on for two weeks because it had mm. to go to three rounds in mm. the end, you know. And um, then, then Scepter came through, and I'm so delighted yeah. to be um, with Scepter, um, Hodder and Stegner. They're just amazing. Okay. I mean, and, and like... Um, like just uh, yesterday, I met and talked with Andrew Miller. He's on the Hodder and Stoughton list. And um, uh, David Mitchell, mm. just love it. He's on Scepter's list. So there are just so many people there that I have long admired. And when I heard they were in the bidding, I was secretly rooting yeah. for them. And you got it in the end. And you, you say luck, but I mean, you deserved it. Like, well, yeah, I suppose there you is. You put that, a lot of work into it. Yeah, well, that that is there. There is that old adage yeah. that you know, um, the luck comes to those who work the hardest. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and look, that's not to say, and there, um, there is some element of luck to it. Definitely, like had I not, had I not looked at Twitter at eleven o'clock that morning when I should oh. actually have been continuing writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, that, yeah. so there is. So maybe it would have mm. come around mm. in a in a different way six months later. And our look, there are plenty of excellent writers out there who are on that path looking. Mm. And and it's, I suppose it's just that persistence and that belief and that chipping away mm. and that talking to people and that, you know, possibly coming to places like Listole. I was never able to get to these places mm. as I was saying to you earlier, Chris. I was like, so bloody poor. I could, I could never. Um, 
I, I've never held a job for money. I, you know, career in terms of you know having a big wage, it's never been the thing that has interested me. So I've always just said, look, if my job, the job I do, can pay my bills, that's all I want. So there was very little mm. room for anything else. Um, so I think um, I, I possibly, I'd say there are so many people just you know who use these wonderful facilities of having all of these writers and and you know publishers and possibly editors here um that you're able to come and talk to them mm. and just listen to the advice and every step of the way you learn something new so when i could get to these things that's what i did i was listening out mm. um to write well how can I do it better okay maybe if I don't do that if I if I you know change my submission letter or if um I don't know I don't know I I change I decide no my my method of attack is going to be I'm you know I'm going to start looking at agents maybe oh yeah one thing that I realized that I started to look for agents who were shifting Houses, so shifting agencies or just new agents coming on. I, I started to just troll the internet, looking, yeah. looking for people like that because I thought, well, look, you know, these are the guys who are actively looking. Mm. You know, you've got all of the wonderful agents who are out there who um, who have got their list. They have to be minding mm. those people, so maybe they aren't as looking as actively as newer agents so you know things like that you just yeah. learn you just have to keep mm. going and learning sounds know? like a very kind of insecure time or a vulnerable time in a way and yeah. like those 37 rejections you said or 36? yeah 36 rejections <laughs> okay. yeah. did they affect you you know yes yeah, some of them yeah. did some of them did definitely um, but I I say this quite a bit that some of them although there were rejections kept me going yeah um, two or three um, well, more. I'd say there were about eight in all who, like, really gave me great feedback or said, look, we've we found it really difficult to decide on this. Mm. Um, and it, I remember one in particular, um, who um, Brendan Barrington from, from Penguin Ireland, who his email kept me going. Because okay. he said to me, he said, I'm not taking it. He said, but I, I, I want to urge you to keep going because yeah. somebody is going to pick this up and he said it twice in that email and it was like okay. that's what I needed so there is something I had plenty of those thanks no thanks mm. rejections mm. plenty of them mm. um, and that's okay because you kind of expect them I think I'm a pessimist at heart Chris so I was kind of like you know mm. yeah well yeah of course they're going to reject, <laughs> reject mm. me um, but there's an element of self-preservation in that as well isn't there it's like I you're kind of yeah there is there is you're yeah. keeping safety net of like exactly. yeah like okay it's possibly yeah. rejected so, yeah. yeah you know and, and that, that learning curve you go through when you start writing and you're getting just rejections left right and centre mm. for your short stories or whatever mm. and and you know and the best of writers are still getting rejections for mm. stuff. You know, there is a thicker skin that grows. I'm not sure it ever grows thick enough that mm. you're able to really let it wash all over you. So, I, yeah, I mean, I suppose being genuine, of course, you know, yes, I expected that, you know, thing it was going to get rejected. But when it did come, of course, there is that sting when you go, OK, mm. right, OK, OK, so that one off the list and there are moments yeah when you just have to I do remember feeling that's it I'm not doing anymore I can't mm. do this I was I was at um, a point where I I was thinking you know I'm too exhausted by this but then you know something happens you know like every writer you just within a couple of days you're going 
okay, no, let's start again. Come on, let's go again. And so then I started this thing of two a week. I'm going to two agents a week, you know, and Mm. that's it. And so once I just kind of kept that in mind, that kind of plan, I was able to just keep going according to my plan. Yeah. You know, um, and um, well, fair play to you. And like, obviously, you you believed in Morris then as well, yeah. and when all is said, and like yeah. that must have been what kept you going as well. Like, you knew that this was good, and I knew it, that yeah. it was worthy of publication and worthy of having an audience. Yeah. So was, that must have been what kept you going. Like, were you thinking this is good all the time? You know. Yeah, I was thinking this. Yeah, I suppose when I was getting the kind of the the feedback from from people, um, like the couple of agents who were like mm. struggling with whether they take it or not um i thought okay that was the kind of affirmation i needed that was the Mm. kind of litmus test for Mm. me that okay there are people who are actually considering this and as i and as i was heading toward that 37th email um kind of the interest was growing a little bit more there were two or three that were actually at the time that louise signed me still considering it Mm. um and that was the affirmation. Um, I suppose, like every human being, I look to other people for my affirmations. It's it's awful. I wish it's I was natural, more. I think, yeah. I think. I wish yeah. I was more confident. But there was a moment when, in in those in those days, when I thought, um, "Oh God, am I going to really keep going with this?" Um, and I thought, you know what? I don't think Morris is going to get published. Mm. And I had this moment of kind of almost grief for yeah. him, like, "Oh God, another Morris grief. is never yeah. going to say yeah, yeah, another one." Yeah. <laughs> As if I, we didn't have enough. You know, I said. Um, but yeah, I just and thing is, I just really love Tamaris. I really mm. like him as a character, as a, as a man. I mean, I don't think if I walked into a bar and and he was sitting there, that he'd necessarily want to have a conversation mm. with me. But I just like to sit and be in his presence, mm. you know, and to just watch him and and and. Um, watch his mannerisms and hear his voice because I, I did specifically want to write this deep voice this mm. commanding voice this vulnerable voice voice at the same time you know um, the voice was very important to me and I suppose the voice was like loud and clear in my head mm. what it would sound like and where did that come from is that an amalgamation of things or um, I, I wanted this m- man to be I don't know, just to be in command of his life. So therefore, for me, I went with your stereotypical deep, Hmm. deep, sonorous voice. Um, But I I had the the origin of the book came from a meeting with a man at a bar in Mayo. um, And his tallness and his white hair were in my head when I, I wrote... Morris, um, he didn't necessarily have the deep voice that Morris had. Mm. That was I. I put that on him, but it was, um, yeah, it was that meeting that kind of um, started me on this road to writing when all is said. Mm. And I've I've told this story a thousand times. I think the world is getting a little bit sick of hearing it. Sorry, um, but um, it, it, this this when I met this man, he was the only person in the bar, and he was standing at the bar, very tall head of white hair very distinguished looking somebody asked me last night would you recognise him again if you met him and I totally would recognise this man totally Um, but he had told me that he had worked in the hotel when he was a boy and so I loved that idea this man was in his 70s and this you know I didn't know whether he had spent his life in the neighbourhood I didn't know but I was just really drawn in my head in my writer's head I'm drawn to this idea of wow somebody is sitting in a place where he worked when he was like really young um and um so i was yeah the writer's brain was beginning Mm. to tick away already and 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 then he said the 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 strangest of words to me he said i'm not going to see the morning 
And so that sentence coming from a stranger, and I'm wondering, well, what does that mean? I couldn't ask him, and I can't remember why I couldn't ask him. My brain will not let me remember what exactly happened that I couldn't say, what does that mean? Mm. Um, other people were coming into the bar. There was a bit of, mm. you know, we're, um, and so it was those words mm. that gave me that beginning with this idea of a man sitting to a bar um, to drink five toast to the five most important people in his life um, on a night that is the last night of his life, you know. So maybe if you did know the rest of his story you yeah, might not have, exactly. like, it was those questions that made you exactly. imagine the answers. Exactly, yeah, yeah like um, my editor and publicist have asked would I go back to see if I could find him and meet him, <laughs> see if he is still there um, and yeah. I just think, well no because that was a moment in time, mm. And that created this whole new journey for me. Mm. And what if I go back mm. and I don't know, realize that that's not what he said at all. He was saying, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He said, I'm just going to the loo, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I, um, <laughs> I, I want to, <laughs> I want to leave it where it sits, where yeah, it sits yeah, in, yeah. My, in, in my head, in my memory, yeah. you know. But another thing that I could kind of relate to with this book was just going to pubs, like around here, rural yeah. Ireland, and you see these old, often older men yeah. sitting over a pint, and they seem like they're kind of lonely, but they have a million stories to tell, and their I lives know. have been so interesting, and then these pubs are closing down all the time, and these yeah. are often these men's only avenue of telling their stories, yeah. and without telling their stories, they don't get to express their lives. Yeah. So it seems like that's kind of been lost in a lot of places, and like yeah. I've kind of... Feel, felt a bit another thing I was mm. while I was reading this I was feeling a bit sad about that because you know Morris was given this opportunity to sit at the bar have his five drinks and tell his life story yeah. um, and that's something I was kind of thinking about as well and the lack of that avenue after pubs yeah. are closing you know yeah I mean there is there, that was a very important aspect of the book for me mm-hmm. um, was writing about I suppose an older person's experience of life in Ireland mm. today mm. Um, and um, there is there is something in what you say absolutely about about the kind of loneliness um, that I think is there and I'm not sure how you solve that problem mm. um, I was reading a tweet from somebody yesterday another writer I think who said she was walking down her street and there's a, an old woman she passes pretty much every day and, and she said hello as she normally did but the woman stopped to talk to her and they had this lovely conversation mm-hmm. and as she was moving away to to continue on her journey the woman said thank you you're the first person I've talked to in days. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. And I don't know the solution. I've worked in community development work for, for 20 years. Um, I haven't worked with, with older people, but there is something about mm. valuing, valuing the wisdom on people's life experiences that, you know, we're not good at it here in mm. Ireland. We're absolutely dreadful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are other communities who sit on the coattails yeah. um, of their elders and mm-hmm. listen to what they have to say, to the learning, and they are respected and treated um, with with kindness and with just adoration, in a mm-hmm. way, for, for, mm-hmm. for that wisdom, for having just lived a life yeah. and given to, to us all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's something there, and 
so there was something really important in that for me in writing Maris's story and I'm not quite sure where I go with that mm -hmm. but it's certainly something that was very very important mm -hmm. to me um, and my own dad my mum and dad are, are amazing people still alive still still leading a great life um, in their 80s my dad was 84 at this point when I wrote this book so I was very much writing it from from listening to my own father and listening to the issues that come up for my mum and dad, mm. you know, um, at that age and how people are falling away from them mm. and they're, and, uh, you know, the way they talk about the neighbourhood, the neighbourhood's not what it was and sure, we don't know the names of our neighbours and all of that and I know cha society is changing but there is something, I don't know, mm. there is, I feel... I, I feel there's something more we can do. And as I say, I'm not sure what, but it was important for mm. me to try and explore yeah, yeah. that in the book. There's that other thing that's been happening as well. I don't know if you heard about this, where apparently elderly people are ordering things online just so they can talk to the postman. Oh, my God. You see, that just... You know, that horrible, when I heard that, it was just, Jesus. Yeah. What's I, happening, I, like, you know... I don't um, know, and yeah. I don't know... Um, like I say, I don't know what the solution mm, is, and maybe yeah. I just need to get out there and do something and be active about um, about changing something mm -hmm. and I, I don't like I don't have the solutions yet but mm. I know it's there bubbling yeah, up yeah, in yeah. me and and you know maybe something in my own community I can do or yeah, you that's, know. A, that's all we can do I suppose that's is just all we the can small do. things yeah and, yeah, yeah. Um, and thanks a million would you mind a short reading of course. If, if there are pieces yes. that you're particularly um, yeah what, what do we do two um, minutes or yeah what, yeah, two, yeah, yeah okay. two minutes is perfect um, let me see now I'll have to rummage through the book yeah find I'll do a piece from the very beginning actually yeah um, perfect yeah she died in her sleep she always said that when it was her turn to go she'd like it to be that way just like her sister before her there had been no sign of any illness no complaint she pecked me on the cheek the previous night before turning over with her halo of curlers tied up in my old handkerchief the woman had dead straight hair that she wound to within an inch of its life every night all that bother I used to think, as I watched her from the bed and her at the dressing table, what was so wrong with those silky lengths that I only ever glimpsed for a second? But do you know something? I'd give my last breath right now to see her at that mirror one more time. I'd watch each twist and turn of her hand with complete admiration, appreciating every stroke. That morning I was in the kitchen with the radio on and my shaving already done before I realised I hadn't heard the shuffle of her slippers or her usual humming. By the time I'd put the kettle on and still hadn't seen her, I knew something was up and so I let the newsreader's voice trail after me as I made my way back down the corridor. Mick Wallace and his tax evasion. The image of that man's white, wispy hair and pink shirt froze in my brain when I stood at our door and realised she was still in the bed where I'd left her. I touched her face and felt the coldness of her passing. My knees buckled instantly. Collapsed at the edge of our bed, I looked at her face only inches away. Contented it was, not a care. Still a red glow to her cheeks, or am I imagining that? My fingertips felt the softness of the lines around her eyes, then found her hand under the blankets. I held it between my own, trying to warm it, holding it to my cheek, rubbing it. It's not that I thought I could bring her back to life or anything. It's just what I did. 
didn't want her to be cold, I suppose. She hated being cold. It's the only thing I remember about her passing and the funeral. That quiet time with me and her alone, no one else. Don't ask me what happened after. Who came or who said what? It's all a blur. I just sat in my chair in the sitting room, still holding her hand in mine. In my mind. My Sadie. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.